just as we begin, I'll just uh, add to Paul's notices. We've got a couple of great preachers coming this month. We've got Terry Virgo, who heads up New Frontiers, and Adrian Holloway, Terry on the 23rd, and Adrian Holloway on the 30th. Uh, just put that in your diary. It's, there's two great big posters outside, so I'm sure you've noticed them. Great to see you there, and you will be blessed through their ministry on the 23rd and the 30th. You also would have received, as you came in, some preach notes. Um, part one, the white one, is from last time I preached on Romans chapter 8. And uh, the second one is obviously for today. Although these aren't, these aren't really notes to be, write, to be writing on in the meeting. These are more uh, for your own time, for you to be looking at Romans <coughs> chapter 8. Uh, as I've said, I felt, as I prayed, um, I bumped into Max Redknapp as I was walking out of the meeting a few weeks ago and he said to me about having a theme of grace for the worship and I felt, I'd love to preach to you as I, fi- as I finish here in Hastings, um, my last three preaches, down to my last two now, um, I wanted to preach to you on the theme of grace, to teach about it um, and I felt Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, eight is a great um, chapter to learn about the grace of God. You're really welcome if you're a visitor today. If you're a non-Christian here, you're really welcome. We, you may have questions and it'd be great to talk to you afterwards, but also you may have questions while, whilst I preach because some of the vocabulary we'll, we'll use Maybe not, maybe unfamiliar to you. Some of the words, phrases that I may use may be unfamiliar to you. And I'll, I'll do my best to explain myself as I go along, but I hope it will become clear and uh, you can grasp what I'm saying. Last time I preached, I, I spoke from uh, verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 8. And if you remember, I read the whole of Romans chapter 8. So therefore this morning I'm not going to read to you the whole of Romans chapter 8. Um, I'm going to pick out different bits as we go along. But can I ask you, if you haven't read Romans chapter 8, have a go at reading it. Read Romans chapter 5 as well. Chapter 5, chapter 8, there's lots of overlap between the two. There's bits you won't understand, um, but there'll be lots you do understand. Pray that the Holy Spirit will help you to understand and another way to help you understand is to get yourself a decent study Bible, an NIV study Bible or an ESV study Bible. I tend to use the ESV study Bible which is very good. The notes are excellent and they will be very helpful to you to understand what the Bible says. So last time I preached, my first message, I spoke on accepted by God. And I'll just repeat to you um, the words I read from Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I talked about how now Christians were once condemned. Everybody has made mistakes that we call sin, but those mistakes are not so much to do with that we've let each other down, it's more to do with our relationship with God, that God has standards, that God has a point of view, that he's the centre of the universe, not us, and we have fallen short of his standards. We've all done it, therefore we are condemned. 
So we needed, we needed our guilt dealt with. And that guilt was dealt with by Jesus Christ. If you remember what I said was this, and it says it in Romans, that Jesus himself was condemned. He was condemned for us. Therefore, we are no longer condemned. And I, if you remember, I, I, I got three people out here. I got out Mr. Facts, Mrs. Faith, and Mrs. Feelings. And I talked about them going for a journey and how Mrs. Feelings tends to go up and down and tends to feel differently depending on the day and how, what they've had to eat and how ill they are and what virus they may have. What, uh, if they've had a flu jab recently or not had a flu jab and got flu now, they may not feel that God loves them. You may not feel this morning that God loves you. That's, that's feelings, not Mrs. or Mr., just feelings. But the facts are, that I said, is there is now no condemnation. You are not guilty before God anymore. You have no shame before God anymore. But what about what I did? It has gone. Well, how did it go then? Well, Jesus was condemned for you. Punishment has been meted out. Justice has been done, but on Jesus. So no matter how you feel, put your faith in the facts that Jesus has died and risen for you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I laboured that, and I hope you are living in it. I made the illustration, I hope you, you know, of the traffic lights. I said that, um, why, not, why not grab hold of traffic lights? Not literally, you may want to do that. But, I mean, actually, in our imagination, use them to help you in your Christian life. So whenever you come to a traffic light and it's red, remember what you were, that you were condemned. Remember that. When you come to a green light, when it turns green, remember there is now no condemnation. It's a green light between you and God. A green light. You can enter into his presence. You can talk to him about anything. You can ask him for anything. He may say no. He may say yes. He may say later. But you can talk to him about anything. He is now your father. Isn't that wonderful? Yes? Isn't that wonderful? No condemnation, my friends. And that's what I said last time. I said what we were, what we are. And today I'm going to talk about being transformed by God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray because what I'm going to speak about today, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to speak it clearly. I want to communicate well. I want you to understand what I'm saying. I want you to stay awake. I want it to be clear to you. This, the, the, the scriptures are not always easy. I'm going to try and make it easy for you. I'm going to try and present it as well as I can. I have spent tens of hours, right, looking at Romans chapter 8 for this preach. If I was to add it up, it's tens of hours. And I want, I want it to come across well to you. And... Um, Father, I pray by the power of your Spirit that you would come this morning. Thank you, you are here, but you would open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, open every part of us. Lord, open our understanding, change our lives through the truth. Thank you, your word, the Bible, and the truth contained is living. It's active because the truth is, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, 
that you would change us through your word this morning, from the youngest to the oldest, from the newest Christian to those who've been around for a long time. I pray you will communicate in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to read to you verses 5 to 17. I'm going to summarise them. Because, again, in your own time with the Bible study, take some time to read through them, but you'll see it's quite a, it's quite a tricky argument. But let me just explain to you, from my m- much time spent looking at this, I'm going to summarise to you verses 8 to 15. Paul, the apostle who writes this, basically says there are two types of people. Two types of people. There are those who are dominated by flesh. Dominated by flesh. That means the flesh is the opposite of the things of the spirit. So flesh is bad, right? Flesh bad, right? Those dominated by flesh and those dominated by the Holy Spirit. He reminds Christians that they are now dominated by the things of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in them. They have now an obligation, or another way of translating it is, you you are a debtor to, you, you desire to, you have an obligation to the Holy Spirit. Those who live dominated by the Spirit are God's children. As God's children, they are heirs, they have an inheritance, and that inheritance is to be with God and to be transformed by God, to be with him forever. Another way of really summarising it is this. Children of God are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you are a child of God, you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. The proof is in the pudding. You are being transformed is proof that you are a son of God. Now, you don't, you don't work hard to become a child of God. You become a child of God and then you get transformed. It's, it's, it's that way round, yeah? Religion is often painted like this. I perform, therefore I become what God wants. I, I get accepted by God if I perform. Yeah? It's like that, isn't it? I perform, God will accept me. In Christianity, it's the other way round. I'm accepted by God, no condemnation... And then I begin to perform. It's the other way round. A dog barks, a pig rolls in mud, a bird flies, a Christian walks in the Spirit. It's the way it is. Amen? Good. Okay? And there's no condemnation, but I know you and you are being changed. Are you not? You may be struggling with things, You are a work in progress. I am a work in progress. You know that. But you are a work in progress. At least you're a work, aren't you? (laughs) At least you're a work, and that's a good thing. And God will complete that work through your life, but it's not going to be completed until you're with him. Okay? And the future glory that we're going to receive, that I'm going to talk about next time, is we're going to receive resurrection bodies in a new heavens and a new earth, and then the work of Christ will be complete. So, we are being transformed by God. Children of God are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make two points today. It's a transformed position leads to a transformed life. 
I could put it like this, a transformed nature, a transformed identity leads to a transformed life. Some of you have just got engaged to be married. The girls amongst you, particularly, well, no, the, only the girls, will change their names. Okay? That may be good. In my wife's case, she got the name Beanie. <laughs> which sounds nice, but, you know, my wife's previous name was Slater. She may have preferred the name Slater to Beanie. I don't know. But her identity was changed when she married me. It's deeper than that, actually. The Bible says you become one flesh. You actually become one. That's not just sex, although sex is part of it. There's a spiritual union. There's something amazing that happens when you get married. I don't want to get into that now. But what I'm saying is a transformed identity, and I tell you now, Katie, your life is going to change. <laughs> She's just got engaged to Anthony. And Anthony, let me tell you now, your life is going to change. I imagine it might get a bit tidier. You might get a better diet. Oh, come on. You can't tell me a man cooking for himself eats better then when he gets together with a lovely, godly woman who's going to cook him lovely food, lovely puff pastry on the top of a nice pie. <laughs> I'm steak and kidney fan, really. So, you know, vegetables, all right, things like that. Transformed identity leads to a transformed life. That's what I'm going to say. Okay. It's not the transformed life that comes first, it's the transformed identity. The marriage, then the life. Not the life, then the marriage. Ooh. Let's try it out first, maybe. No, it's the marriage first, then it's the life. It's the same thing with Jesus. With him, in him, united to him, faith in him, become a, become a child of God, then the life follows. Transformed position leads to a transformed life. And secondly, I'm going to say, a trans your transformed behaviour reflects a transformed position. Okay? There's going to be fruit that comes from your transformation. And sometimes, people can set up an unhelpful division between identity and behaviour. They can say, oh, behaviour is not important. It doesn't matter what you do as a Christian. The truth is, it's our identity that determines our behaviour. It's our behaviour that reveals our identity. Is it not? Our, let me say that again. Our behaviour reveals our identity. It can't be hidden. You can say, I follow Jesus, I'm following you, Jesus, but where's the follow? Is there a follow? I'm not saying, are you perfect, I'm saying, have you changed? I know many of you have, I know most of you have. I know most of you, you are following the Holy Spirit. He's at work in your life, and that reveals your identity as a child of God. Jesus and the biblical authors, those who write the Bible, never belittle good behaviour. 
They never say, oh, it's not important, good behaviour. Good behaviour is very, very important. You know it's important. It's important. It's essential. It reveals the true you. Let me just introduce you to a couple of words, which I know most of you will know, but for visitors, maybe you wouldn't have heard them before. Justification and sanctification. Justification is a one-off act. Okay? A one-off act. If I drop a brick on my toe, that's a one-off act. Okay? It happens once, man, my toe hurts. Justification is a one-off act in which God declares you not guilty. Because of Jesus. He says over you, Gary Dyer, not guilty. Okay? Not guilty. No condemnation. Justified. That's once. And it's forever. Unlosable. Unchangeable. The judge has pronounced you justified. No condemnation. The green traffic light is there. But there's also sanctification. Sanctification is progressive. Sanctification is is a gradual process of change over days, months and years in which you become more and more like Jesus. Justification is one-off at the beginning of your conversion. You become justified. And then out of that transformed uh, position, as it were, becomes your transformed life. You are continually sanctified. So certain habits will drop away. Addictions will drop away. Ways you see the, the, the world will change. Your temper will become better. And in my case, that's a good thing. Patience, gentleness, faithfulness, purity, these things, you become more and more and more like Jesus. That is sanctification, okay? Justification, sanctification. So, let me do, that was by way of, of, of introduction, really, although I said it all. Um, so first point is this a transformed position leads to a transformed life how does true transformation happen I wonder what you even think of what does the government think of how do we transform society the big society that will transform things what is transformation what does it look like what would, it, what would we want in this town? What is true transformation? We often think of transformation as changing behaviour, don't we? We want to change people's behaviour, but surely that's not enough. Just changing people's behaviour is not what we really, really want or what we really need. Would it be enough for you if a friend or your child, or your husband, or your wife, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, behaved well for you. Would that be enough? They behaved well. What you really want to know, what you value is what's in their heart, don't you? If they get you something for your anniversary, because it was in their tipper-tapper, or whatever you you call it, your, your iCal, your, your diary, your um, whatever it is. Um, they get their, their PA, if they happen to have such a luxurious person, to buy you some flowers. But they didn't actually, oh well, we've, we've, we've done the... You want to know if they love you, don't you? You want to know if your friend loves you. You want to know what's behind it. You, you'd rather have the love 
than anything, really. So it's not just behaviour you want. You want an attitude of heart. You want them to love you. And that's what God wants. He doesn't just want your behaviour. He doesn't want you to be good. He wants your heart. He wants what's inside. He wants the real you to be loving toward him and to be putting him first. And that's something government can't really change. Jesus can change that. The gospel can change that. That's where true transformation happens. We can set up a legal system that can maybe control your behaviour and that's very good. We need a legal system. But the legal system reveals something wrong with humanity. It reveals that we need to have punishments that um, induce us to behave well when really we all know what we should do, don't we? We should be patient, kind, loving towards each other, but we need a legal system which reveals there's something wrong with us. So God wants our hearts, not just our behaviour, just like you do. You don't want just behaviour, you want hearts as well. Behaviour is important, but behaviour without an inner integrity is worthless, and frankly, it's weird. It's odd. For you to do stuff, just like a kind of an automaton, a, a, a robot, I will do what I'm told, I will do it, I will just do it. No, he wants your heart. And that's where true transformation needs to happen. It begins with our inner person, and then we begin to bear fruit, the fruit of change. Now, that inner transformation is explained in many different ways in the Bible. And it is sometimes the transformation in our lives. Some of it is subjective and some of it is objective. If I put it, put it this way, if you fly in a plane and you take off, you know that feeling? It comes to, it, it, it's going to go, it's going to go, it's going to go, and then you start to go, and then suddenly you've got that strange engine, you know, the engine that does that. And you think, I'm sure the last plane I went on didn't make that noise, okay, as you take off. You feel the acceleration. You feel the speed. You feel the height. Some transformation can be felt. But when you are cruising at tens of thousands of feet, at hundreds of miles an hour, you can't necessarily feel it, can you? But I tell you now, you are going somewhere really quickly. And you as a Christian may be here today saying, I don't really feel that God is transforming me. Let me tell you now, sometimes it's experiential. When I first became a Christian, the transformation was really dramatic. I felt it internally. I felt... Um, incredibly um, alert to God's presence, to God's word, to the mission of God, to living for God. But, but most days, I'm not sure, do I feel that I'm being transformed? You are being transformed. You have been transformed. Being a Christian is to be transformed completely. Some of it is felt. Sometimes it's strong. Sometimes it feels weak. You're not sure. Am I being transformed? Some of the truths of the Bible are experienced powerfully, but sometimes you don't feel it so much. But what I want to say this morning is this. As we look at what has changed about you, 
I can guarantee you, as you think more about it, you will get more and more excited about what God is doing in your life. Amen? You will get more excited about what Jesus is doing as you remember, as we look at some of the transformation that God is doing in our lives. Okay, we'll look at three things. I'm going to look at three things that we get from Romans chapter 5 and chapter 8, but sort of a, a mixture of the things, really. I'm going to look at the fact that we've been... T- and, and the first one I've mentioned before, but some of you will think that sounds odd. Frankly odd, okay? Let me, but, but it is massive. And again, you may not have felt this, okay? You have been taken out of Adam and put into Christ. Hands up if you know what... If you have a sense of what I mean by that, just put your hands up. Really high, so I, you kind of know... Oh, that's a lot of you. That's good. That's really excellent. So many of you would understand. Yeah, I, I, I kind of understand what you mean by that. Secondly, if you just want to put these up as I go along, I'm going to talk about how we've been taken out of death. Oh, forget that. Sorry, go back. Uh, out of death and into life. Then I'm going to be talking about out of flesh and into the spirits. So let's look at that. The transformation. Then firstly, out of Adam into Christ. There are two types of people on the earth, according to the scriptures. Those who are in Adam, and those who are in Jesus. Adam is not some, for Christians, Adam is not a legend. The fool is not a legend. However you view the days of creation, many Christians can view that in different ways. If you look at the, the, the language behind the words, you can view it in different ways. And many Christians do view the uh, six days of creation and the seventh day of rest in different ways. And you can be a Christian and have different views of that. And you may be here this morning going, okay, fine. But the Adam bit, the man Adam and the person Eve and their literal fall and rebellion against God, which has cursed the whole of humanity, is a literal story It's a literal piece of history that Christians believe happened. Because it affects everything. Because Adam fell, humanity was disfigured. We were made in the image of God. I talked to you earlier about law and how we need laws to keep us kind of living right. Why is that? Well, because Adam sinned, it's affected the whole of humanity. It's affected our behaviour, it's affected our nature, it's affected the fact that we are growing old and dying. You ever wondered why we are growing old and dying? You may say, well, that's just part of things, isn't it? Well, it wasn't created that way. And actually, scientists are still looking for the reason as to why, when cells replicate, for some reason, you get old and die. Why is that? Because it's messed up. The system's damaged. It's called the fall. It affects our behaviour, it affects our nature, and we're heading for a day when that will be destroyed. All sickness will be destroyed. All rebellion will be destroyed. In Adam, so Adam was a literal person. And we must understand this, that in Paul's mind, he has this idea in his mind. When he says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus... We go, hallelujah. But sometimes what we fail to remember is actually, he's he's just two chapters before, which linked to this, he said, 
we're no longer in Adam. We're now in Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Because we've been taken out of Adam and into Jesus, we are no longer condemned. That's the argument. It is those who are in Jesus who are no longer condemned. It's those who have been taken out of Adam who are no longer condemned. Adam and Christ are two representatives of humanity. In our Western, individualistic culture, most of us tend to think of me, myself and I. Yeah? How I live, how I do, what job I'll do, who who I'll marry. It's all about, I'll keep my own standards, I have my own set of morals, my own private life. As long as I don't hurt others, I can do what I like in my private life. We don't think of ourselves, do we, as a people? Tend to, to, do we? Let's say, if you go to a tribal tribal nation, I am part of a tribe. I am part of this people. If you affect my tribe, it may not be me, but I'm part of it. Do you understand? I'm part of it. And in our Western culture, we find it difficult to understand this whole idea of representatives of groups. Representatives of groups. And there are two, Christ or Adam. Adam or Christ. God deals with humanity as two races. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Jesus. Adam represents humanity, but Jesus represents the new humanity. The new humanity. You're out of the old and placed into the new people of God. You must get this, guys. Because if you're a young person and you're thinking about who you're going to marry or date, you must see yourself as part of a people. Because if you just see yourself as an individual, that doesn't matter. Your behaviour affects others, but most importantly, your, the person you want to marry, is you want them to be in your people, not part of the people you're not a part of. Now, I hope I'm making sense here. Can we put the scripture up? Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, let's just get this idea of Adam being a representative. Just as sin entered the world through one man. Now, the one man is Adam. It's also interesting to note in marriages around here that it's Adam who's held responsible for Eve's sin. It's very important to notice that although Eve sinned first, She took the apple, or not apple, sorry, the fruit. It's Adam who's held responsible. Just sow a seed there for you to wonder why that is. One man and death through sin. So because of Adam, death has entered into the world. And death came to all men. True, right? There's never been a person beat it yet, apart from Jesus Christ. Because all sinned. And that's the interesting point there. Because all sinned. What he's saying is this. We are all held accountable for Adam's sin. 
You say, but that's not fair. Maybe you're viewing yourself as an individual, not as part of the people. You are part of humanity. Adam was your representative. He sinned, we sinned. We're a fallen race. Humanity is fallen. And we needed a saviour. His name is Jesus. So all sinned. We all sinned in Adam. That's a mystery. It's strange, weird, odd, odd. But that's the answer for the reason why the world is so messed up. Because Adam sinned. It's affected every human being. It's affected their desires, their nature. It reflects in the fact that many people rebel against God. Rebelling against God is just part of Adam's nature, is it not? And this is the interesting thing. I'm not going to read all of it. Death reigned, doesn't it? Death reigns from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern a type of the one to come. Now, the one to come is who? Jesus. So, Adam is the opposite of, although very similar to Jesus. Adam represented the people. He rebelled and it affected all the people. Jesus represents all the people. He was obedient. He didn't sin. And it affects all the people. You get it? Think about how Adam has affected your life. Think about the struggles you have. Think about the illnesses you have. Think about the fears. Think about life. Just think about it. Look at humanity. Look at, look at the world. It's not just mankind. It's physical nature. Look at Haiti. Look at it. Look at the tyranny around the world, the greed. Lots of lovely stuff as well, but I just want to focus on these things. Look at the way Adam has affected so much. Now, I want you to put it the other way, and I want you to say, wow, if Adam affected so much, what's Jesus going to do? But the opposite, you understand? He is undoing what Adam has done. It's overflowing what Adam has done. Adam has messed up this town. Look around you. The people, the families, the... I know there's lots of good stuff. I know that. But think about the hurting... The lonely. It's all because of Adam. Think about what Jesus is doing. What's he doing? He is undoing Adam's sin. And what I want you to get is this, that Jesus and Adam are very similar, but opposites. And Jesus' victory is flowing into this town, into this life, and you need to get that. I'm going to move on from that. So that's... I'm just going to read a great quote. It's in your... um, it's in your study notes, what Terry Virgo's put there. And I will read it. Come on, let's put the quote up. Oh, I'm running out of time. Um, oh, please. Adam, because this is such a good quote. really is. Dear old Terry Virgo. 
It says this, Adam is a type of Christ. It's behind me, by the way, don't look at you. Adam is a type of Christ. If your life was thoroughly blighted by your relationship with Adam, what contrasting gains do you make by being in Christ? Once you, were in, once you are in Christ, you have been given his righteousness as a gift. Just as your sinfulness resulted from your relationship with Adam. So now, your righteousness comes from your new relationship with Jesus. Now, Christ is our righteousness. Just as when you were in Adam, your endeavours to live a holy life did not take you out of Adam, so now, and sorry, and so left us as sinners, so now, you are in Christ, and your sinful actions do not take you out of Christ. You couldn't get out of Adam, could you, by your own good works? And you can't get out of Jesus by your bad works. You've got to get the two. But they leave you still righteous in his sight. It is by virtue of your relationship with Jesus that you are thoroughly accepted. Your personal failings do not take you out of him. Therefore, his righteousness still stands to your account. Oh, my friends. Let me just read you something else which I learned from Terry, uh, not Terry, but John Groves used to lead this church in 1999. I wrote this down. He said this, being in Christ, so out of Adam, in Christ, being in Christ is like being in a plane. I, so, I sort of mentioned this earlier. It does not matter what you do in the plane. We can flap our arms. We can worry about our performance, become neurotic, or even go to sleep. It's not your performance that matters. It's the performance of the plane that will get you there. You're in Jesus, right? He is taking you somewhere. He is changing you. You can worry about it, you can pretend, think you're going to lose it, but you're not. You're in him. Okay? You're in him. So, secondly, out, so out of Adam into, into uh, Christ, out of death, therefore, into life. They link together. If you are in Adam, you are in death. What do I mean by death? You think, you know, but I'm here this morning, I can hear you. No, spiritual death. And ultimate death, i.e., um, your, your body will die and you will be separated with God, from God forever unless you receive forgiveness for your sins. Death. Death is most expressed in your um, ignoring, at best, Jesus Christ and your um, opposition to Jesus Christ at worst. Death is seen in that, that way particularly. It's your relationship with God that reflects the idea of death. We don't love God. That's, that's death. So you've been taken out of death into life. Okay. If you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 2, but I'm going to read it out. In fact, don't... Yeah. I'm going to read to you from Romans 8, verse 2. It says this. For the law of the spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, what on earth does that mean? That's exactly what I think, thought. What on earth do these things mean? Sometimes when you look at these things, you think, what, what, what's the Bible saying? It's got something to do with life, something to do with law, something to do with death, I, something to do with Jesus. What does it all mean? Well, sometimes in the Bible, words, just like in our, in our uh, language, words can mean different, the same words can mean different things, yeah? I love you, Helen, or I love a quarter pound of cheese. The two are very different. Helen and the quarter pound of cheese, but also the use of the word love is very different, is it not? Yeah? Or like, you know, you could say, I am so cool. People always say that about me. You are so cool. But they don't mean I'm cold to the touch. Although I am, generally, cold to the touch. And it's the same thing with law in the Bible. Law in our country can mean different... Country? Law in our vocabulary can mean different things. I can say that there is a law of gravity. I'm going to fall off the stage. I've been... I, I have succumbed to the inevitable law of gravity as I hit the floor. But I can also say the law of don't, do not break the speed limit of 30 miles an hour. The laws mean different things. Yeah, don't they? And the same thing with law in the Bible. The law can be the, in the Old Testament, what, what Moses wrote and in the prophets. There are laws. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. Laws. But there's also the law, which is more like a principle. There is a law. The, the Bible sometimes uses the term as in a principle. That's what it means here. For the principle of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the principle of the law, sorry, from the principle of sin and death. What he's saying is this. So I'm saying, out of death into life. How do we get out of death and into life? It's like this. We are held accountable before God for our sin. Okay, Adam's sin, yes, but also our own personal sin. There is a principle before God. If you sin, you shall die. It's called judgment. We face judgment for what we do wrong. And Romans says it like this, the wages of sin is death. There is a rule. There is a principle. There is a law. God is just, therefore he will judge us. I'm not being unkind. God has to judge us. I don't want to be nasty or sort of like make, you, make you think I'm better than you. I don't think that at all. But it's just true, is it not? We've done wrong and God will judge us. He is just, therefore he'll judge us. That is the principle. There is a principle here. A law of sin and death. If you've sinned, you will die. That's bad news. But in Jesus, the good news is the spirit of life. When you come to Jesus and you accept him as your saviour, he has died for you and your guilt is gone, your sin is gone, therefore you will not die and you'll be with him forever. So a Christian has been brought out of death and into life because of Jesus.
I will just touch this one, then I won't go into detail on it. Out of flesh into the spirit. Oh. Out of flesh. What does that mean? Out of flesh. The Bible presents these things as two opposites. The flesh wants what is opposite to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit wants what is opposite to the flesh. Right, if I said murder, put your hand up if you think that's of the flesh. Come on, you know it is, you know it is. If I said greed, put your hand up if you think that's of the flesh. Right? Now I could explain to you more and more about it but I just want to say basically, you know, flesh means bad things. Right? It's to want bad things. It's to want things other than the spirit. If I said love, is that of the spirit? Hands up? Yeah. If I said to love cocaine, you've got to define love, don't you? Love people, you know. Love it, just love. Um... You know what I mean? So flesh and spirit. A Christian has been taken out of the realm of flesh. They no longer, there's still still temptation, but their life is not dominated by the things of flesh. They are dominated by the things of spirit. You have been transformed. You bear the fruit of the spirit. Let's just put it like this. It's like emigrating to a new country. This is for Christians, right? It's like emigrating to a new country. You have emigrated where there are different rules and different ways of doing things. In this new country, they drive on the different side of the road. Now, you may be tempted to drive in the old way of the old country that you left behind. But my advice is this, don't do it. You are not of the old country. Similarly, You are not of the old country flesh. You've been transferred in Jesus into spirit. So Jesus has changed everything. And I'm just going to cut to the last slide and we'll do this together. If you you feel comfortable, we're going to just go through these things which really summarise Romans chapter 8 and... This really, how do we, get, how do we transform our behaviour? We need to recognise the fact that we have actually been changed in Jesus. And we need to confess these things. And I've just summarised a few things I hope you'll get and be quite simple for you. So I'm going to read it, each one out and I want you to confess it and then we'll finish. I think you'll, you'll agree with me. This basically summarises um, what has happened to you in Jesus. So I am no longer... Can you see that? Is it there? Yeah. I am no longer condemned by God. Do you want to repeat after me? People cannot take my peace away. I am justified. I cannot lose my peace with God. I am no longer enslaved to the power of sin. 
I have a new life and am free to serve God. I am not a weak person. I have his spirit in me. Jesus was condemned in my place. Jesus kept the law for me. That's Moses, by the way. Jesus in me causes me to surpass the requirements of the law. I can choose to obey the Spirit rather than the opposing desires of the flesh. My mind is set on God's will. I choose to live to please God. I have resurrection power coursing through my life. True life is found in obedience. Sin leads to death. What have I to do with death? I'm out of it. I'm a child of God. I have God's spirit, you are my dad. You love me even when I walk with you down a difficult path. You use all things to make me more like Jesus. I'm an heir of glory. I can see it coming. Would you like to stand? Well, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you, Lord, that you have changed us and transformed us. Thank you we're not what we were. Thank you we're in Christ. Thank you we're in the Spirit. Thank you we're in life. Thank you we, those things we've just confessed from Romans. Thank you we are out of death. What have we got to do with the things of death? What have we got to do with the things that we were in Adam? Lord, we're tempted, I know, Lord, but thank you that we are changed. We are different, Lord. We do, Lord, desire to serve you. And I pray for us, I pray for me, I pray for this people, Lord, that as they live out all that you've won for them, may the world see, Lord, may the world see a transformed people and transformed individuals as they're joyful, as they cope with difficulties, as they rejoice in suffering, as they see miracles. I pray for them, Lord, I pray for us, that others would see and would come to know you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great day, and see you at the prayer meeting tonight, many of you.